Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning to you uh, out there in uh, virtual Riverland. Glad that you have uh, decided to, to join with us today. We are um, very, very grateful. I'm going to ask you, uh, I hope you have your Bibles near you, with you. Uh, on you, turn them on, open them up, whatever you need to do to get, get God's Word uh, present before your eyes. We're going to be in, in the Gospel of John chapter 6 today, and I was, so I was grateful that uh, Michelle launched us on uh, the Gospel of John this morning, um, and Michelle, just so you know, this is called an Android phone. There, there, there is a there's another kind of phone out there. I know some of you don't believe that, but there is, there is this thing called Android Land, and I'm a member of Android Land, so uh, don't forget us. We, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John for the next, at least the next seven weeks, and um, the reason is because I think there's some things that... Um, are misunderstandings, if you would, about Jesus. I, I don't know if you've ever felt misunderstood. I, I, I've felt misunderstood, you know. Maybe you do something good for someone, and at some point, your motives get called into to question. You kind of feel like, I don't think people are really getting me in, in this moment. I think we've all had experiences like that. I recently heard a story about a law enforcement officer out in Texas whose motivation was misunderstood. There was a, a New Yorker driving through Texas and um, he ended up having a collision with a, a truck that was pulling a, a, a horse trailer with a horse in it. And it was a pretty bad wreck. And so when the sheriff comes on the scene, the, the, the New Yorker is kind of laying out in the road in pain. He's moaning and the sheriff starts making his way to this man. And someone hollers out, the horse's leg is broken. It's a horrible break. And so the sheriff walks over and he puts the horse out of his misery, which is kind of common practice. So the sheriff then turns his attention back to the man. He goes over and he kneels down beside this man from New York and he says, sir, are you okay? Well, the New Yorker is communicating all of this to his insurance company because he's filed the claim and the, 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 the attorney for the insurance company, you know, asked him, he said, when you, when you filled out, when the police report was filled out, the, you answered the question, I'm fine, thank you for asking, officer. Well, you can imagine why the New Yorker said to the insurance agent's um, lawyer why he answered that way. He misunderstood. People do that. We make assumptions. We sometimes fill in the blanks, uh, a picture of someone that's not necessarily really, really them. We do that um, in lots of ways. And we do it to other people, of course. But here's what I think we do frequently. I think we also do this to Jesus. We all have opinions about Jesus. Sometimes those opinions are based on what we read. Uh, sometimes there are opinions based on what we've heard. 
Sometimes there are opinions that we've seen on social media or on, on TV like the History Channel or other places like that. Oftentimes those dictate our views of who Jesus is. I think sometimes if we would be really honest when we read the Bible, there are parts of it that are kind of hard, kind of hard to wrap our mind around, maybe hard to understand, maybe hard to receive when we read them or hear them. And so what we often tend to do is take those parts that we think, well, I think that actually happened, and then we take those parts that we agree with, and we take those parts that are easy to receive, and we mash those together, and we come up with our own uh, personal Jesus, if you would. I think we all would have to say sometimes we do that. And our version of Jesus is one that, you know, makes sense to us, but more importantly, it's a version of Jesus that he agrees with us usually. The problem is when we do that, what we're left with doesn't look anything like who Jesus says he is. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, I want to read something to you from that book. I've I've probably read it to you before, but it's worth repeating. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man Jesus was, as he said, the son of God, or else a madman, or yet something worse. There's not other options, friends. So the question as we kind of move into this series is who do you say that Jesus is? Who, who do you say that Jesus is? We're starting this series uh, today entitled Jesus Misunderstood. Now, seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus describes exactly who he is through what we refer to often as the I am statements of Jesus. These seven statements where Jesus takes an Old Testament declaration that God made when he said, I am that I am, Jesus takes that and he applies it to his life with some specifics. And so I want to start uh, this series today looking at the very first I am statement that Jesus made in the Gospel of John in John chapter 6. We're going to be in that chapter pretty much the whole time today. Jesus in John chapter 6, on multiple occasions, verse 35 and verse 48, says, I am the bread of life. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? I think that's an important question, but I think the more important question is, why is Jesus saying that? I think he's saying that because he was correcting, attempting to correct misunderstandings that people had about who he was. Misunderstandings, I think, um, that we're going to probably see that we may have as well. Misunderstandings that negatively impact what we believe and how we live our lives. 
So in John chapter 6, it opens with this very familiar story, this account that you may have heard about Jesus feeding 5,000. We believe it was more because it says he fed 5,000 men that day. So there were probably at least three times as many people there. But it's one of the few accounts that all four gospel writers record. And what this account shows, as John records it, is how little the people who were following Jesus really knew uh, about this Jesus. It reveals their misunderstandings. And I want to point out three of those misunderstandings real quickly. Some of the folks there that day at this great feeding, they were kind of there because of the celebrity of Jesus. They looked at him as a celebrity. If you read verse 2, it says, a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. See, Jesus attracted crowds everywhere he went. But as we see here, it wasn't because of who he was. It was more because of what he did. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was doing things that people had never actually seen before. And so this celebrity about Jesus built up and this crowd was following Jesus, hoping that maybe he could pour some of that out on them. Some of the people there were just curious, as we know from other writings in the gospel. But they, some, they just kind of followed him because it was a great show. It was fun to watch. There was something that had never been seen before. And here we see with just five loaves and two little fish, Jesus feeds a massive crowd of thousands. And the onlookers who had gathered there you know, they were amazed. They, they thought, this is a big deal. This guy, he, he's, he's just a celebrity. He's something special. Others there not only thought of this kind of celebrity mode, they thought he was a prophet. You go down to verse 14 in John 6, we, we read this. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, indeed, or this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. See, the way Jesus fed this crowd with these five loaves of bread, I think it reminded them of Moses. And we'll see that later uh, in this account. The story of the Exodus of how Israel had wandered in the desert for over 40 years. And over the course of those 40 years, we know that God fed them with this bread that fell from the sky called, called manna. And I think the people began to wonder if Jesus, might he be this coming prophet that Moses said would come. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses telling the people, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is he to him you shall listen. So they're wondering, you know, he's kind of got this celebrity thing going on, he's kind of got this prophetic thing going on, kind of like Moses. But then there was a third group of people there at that miracle of feeding that day. John 6, 15 tells us that there were some there who wanted to take Jesus by force and to make him king. These people thought that Jesus was this conquering Messiah who'd come to overthrow Rome. And they expected him to immediately set up his kingdom, rule from the throne of David in Jerusalem, and rule over this kingdom of God. But Jesus, because he knew what was going on in their minds and he knew the time was not right yet, he withdrew from the crowd. He went off, uh, John tells us, as so often Jesus would do, he went off by himself. He sent his disciples across the lake 
of the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to the other side of the lake. Later on that night, if you read the Gospel of John, you can go read this later. We're not going to do it now. But Jesus decided that he's going to catch up with them. And so he, he heads for a walk on the water, like a five-mile hike on top of this lake. That's awesome. I encourage you to go back and read that part of the gospel of John chapter 6 later on. So here's what we have so far. We have Jesus and the disciples who have now made it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this crowd that had been there for the feeding that day, they want to follow Jesus. And so since they can't walk on water, they they have to get in boats too. So they, they follow Jesus in boats and they come to the other side. They come to this town called Capernaum. And they find Jesus in the synagogue at Capernaum. We've got a couple of pictures uh, of that synagogue. There's one right there, and uh, it is, um, it's still standing. And go, go ahead, go to the next slide. That's me and my mentor, the Reverend Dr. Curtis Lee Bradford, in the synagogue where these events that we're looking at take place. And so this crowd follows Jesus there. They find Jesus in the synagogue, and they... They ask Jesus a very interesting question. At least it's interesting to me. In verse 25, it says, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, they called him rabbi. And rabbis in the day were religious teachers. They were knowledgeable about scripture and kind of things of life. And so people would often go to rabbis with their questions. You know, for us, you know, we have, we have people that we go to in our day. You know, normally when you have a question these days, you, you run to one of three people. You run to Siri, you run to Alexa, or you run to, to Google, three virtual people, if you would. You know, used to, old school, we would run to Wikipedia to get our, our answers, but now we just pick up our phones and, you know, we ask a question. That's what we do. But these people, they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's the answer to my question? And I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Jesus does not answer their questions. What Jesus does is he digs down deeper and drills down to what's going on in their hearts. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now see, what Jesus wants us to see here, I believe, is something very important that deals with our misunderstandings of him. And here's the first thing. When we misunderstand who Jesus is, we will misunderstand what Jesus offers. If we misunderstand who Jesus really is, we will completely misunderstand what Jesus comes to offer us. See, these people thought they had it all figured out. They actually, I think, thought that they had solved one of life's, you know, greatest big questions, uh, a question that has plagued mankind since the dawn of civilization. You know what it is? What's for dinner? Just what's for dinner? Dinner. I know it, it, it's terrible. I think these guys in the first century thought, hey, we've, we've stumbled on Uber Eats. We've stumbled on, you know, uh, Grubhub or whatever. All you got to do is follow Jesus around and he'll fix dinner. You don't even have to decide what you're going to eat. Jesus will just feed you. But what this shows is that 
those who were following Jesus were pretty much only following him for what they believed he could do for them, for what he could provide for them. And as long as Jesus continued to meet their expectations, they followed him wherever he went. But a time came soon where he failed to live up their expectations. He failed to do what they wanted to do, and they were out of there. See, here's the reality. They were materially motivated consumers of goods and services. Friends, I'm afraid that when we take a really close look at much of the church today, in so many ways, we see that same consumerist mindset. We so often see people selecting a church based on the ministries that that church has, asking the hard question of, how can this church serve my needs? Rather than asking the question, how can I serve the needs of the gospel in my city through this church? In that day, they did it to Jesus. In our day, we do it to Jesus' bride, his church. Many people that day were following Jesus simply because of what they think he can do for them. So here's a really big question we've got to ask ourselves today. What about you? Why, why'd, you why'd you tune in to this YouTube? Why, what, what, what is it? Are, are you curious about Jesus? For those of you who are watching who, who follow Jesus, what is it that you're following these days really? Have you asked yourself questions like that lately? What, what is it that you expect of Jesus? What do you hope to gain from Jesus? What do you want Jesus to provide for you? You know, whether we will admit it or not, each and every one of us oftentimes live with those kinds of expectations. And, and friends, look, God knows our hearts. We just need to acknowledge it. So the question is, do you know? Do you know why? See, like this crowd, that, that crowd came because they wanted their stomachs filled or they wanted a good show. What are your expectations of Jesus? You want Jesus to make life easier for you? Do you want Jesus to make you happier? Are you looking for Jesus to fill your bank account or put a ring on your finger or get you that better job or, or heal your body or just answer your questions like a magic eight ball? What, what are your expectations of Jesus right now? And, and not, only, not only that, not only that, but, but what are you going to do if Jesus doesn't meet those expectations? How are you going to respond if Jesus fails to meet your expectations as you frame them? Friends, when our worship and our following of Jesus is based on what Jesus can provide, then we're no different than the crowd that was following him that day. We're no different than curious onlookers who were just following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Now, despite what many prosperity gospel preachers might tell you, Jesus did not come to give you health and wealth and happiness in the here and now. 
He doesn't promise that. The, the pages of Scripture don't promise that. In fact, God's Word shows us something much different. And Jesus is saying here, he tells the crowd that day, stop chasing after those things, after food that perishes, after things that don't last. But work for things that endure, things that are, are eternal. And the crowd hearing that, they begin thinking, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And so in verse 28, they ask Jesus, what must we do? You know, there's got to be something that we do, you know? Something that I've got to do because there's, you know, even though you just fed us, I know ultimately there's no free lunch. There's got to be a catch somewhere. They were skeptical. We're so often skeptical about the gospel like it's too good to be true. So they're asking, what do we have to do? Look very carefully at verse 29, what Jesus says. Jesus answered them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, not only did they misunderstand what Jesus was offering, but they misunderstood how to obtain it. They, 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 they just misunderstood that. See, when we misunderstand what Jesus is offering to us, we're going to also misunderstand how we access it, how we obtain it when we misunderstood who he is, and what he offers. We're gonna misunderstand how we, how we access it. And what Jesus is saying to them here is this thing you know, that I'm talking about. It's, it's not something you do. It's something God does, a work of God. It's, it's work for you. Here, here's what I want you to do. Look back at verse 29. In verse 29, what's the verb? What is it that you're, you gotta do? What's the verb there? The Gospel of John uses this verb over 100 times. Say it out loud to people around you. What's the verb? It's believe. It's believe. This is the work of God. And here's what's got to happen. You got to believe in him. Whom he sent. See, what, what Jesus is offering is not something, you know, that you receive by the work of your hands. It's not, it's something that actually takes place in your heart. But see, they still doubted Jesus. They, they still didn't trust him. They thought, okay, maybe this guy, maybe he's not the prophet that was promised after all. So they, they asked him for a sign. They asked him for proof and validation of this thing that he's alluding to about eternal life. And so they kind of say, hey, Jesus, don't know if you know it or not, but there's this thing called the Old Testament. And there was this dude, got, his name was Moses, and he led your people out of captivity and then wandered around in the wilderness for about 40 years. And then six out of seven days each week, this, this Moses would get this flaky bread to just fall out of the sky called manna and, and Moses fed the people. Moses did this. So Jesus, what are you going to do? What kind of tricks you got up your sleeve? See, too often, we are no different when it comes to Jesus. We're looking for some kind of sign, some kind of validation, some kind of proof. We're looking for a trick that Jesus could do to help us believe. And, and we, we sometimes doubt Jesus. And if, when we're honest with ourselves, I, I believe we're quick to doubt what Jesus can do because we're quick to forget what Jesus has already done. 
We forget the cross. We forget the resurrection. We, we, we lose sight of the power of those things. I think one of the reasons we're afraid to believe Jesus is we're, we're a little bit afraid that we're going to be let down like so many other people may have let us down. I think we're afraid that Jesus isn't going to do what Jesus is promising us to do. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, God the Father gave Israel the bread, this manna in the wilderness. He says, Moses didn't do that. God, God is the one who did that. God brought the bread down from heaven. Once again, what Jesus is saying is that God is the one offering this bread. This bread came down from heaven. This bread, I'm the bread of life, is better than manna because it's going to endure. It's going to give life that leads to eternal life. And the crowds seem to be hanging on Jesus' words, and they're like, yes, Jesus, give us this bread. And then we get to verse 35, which is the main point of the, the, the message. And this was a sermon that Jesus was preaching. Realize that. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, it's me. I'm, I'm that bread come down from heaven. I'm the bread of life. I, I'm the one that's come down and this bread is different than any other bread that you've ever had before. He says, I'm, I'm the bread. And, and if you take of this bread, you'll never, you'll never hunger again. If you believe, you'll never thirst. Does that sound too good to be true? See, that's who Jesus says he is. He says, I'm the bread of life. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering you something different than you've ever been offered before. It's better than any of the best bread you've ever had. And remember, for these people, bread was life. Uh, eating bread, having bread to eat was, was a life and death thing. Jesus said, you can eat that bread till you're full. But it's never going to, to always meet your needs. You're going to get hungry again on, on that bread. It may satisfy you in the moment. But that satisfaction is never going to last. You know, we all... Every one of us, we all come to Jesus with longings. We have desires. We have cravings. All of us have chased after other things, hoping that they will satisfy those longings, satisfy those cravings. But we would have to say they, they never do. They might for a moment, but then they let us down. But as the bread of life, what Jesus is saying as the bread of life, I am coming to satisfy your deepest longings. That's what Jesus is coming saying. As the bread of life, I'm coming to satisfy your deepest longings. And I believe that's the big idea of his message here, of this message today. See, only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings. Everything else you chase after, everything is going to leave you longing for more, eventually letting you down. Jesus won't do that. J Jesus will never do that. See, what Jesus is offering is it will fill you. 
It will sustain you, not just for an hour, not just for a a day, not just for a, a season or a year, but for eternity. That's what Jesus says here. Do you trust that? Or are you still somewhat unsure? Still not fully in, don't fully believe. Maybe there's some part of your life that you're holding back from Jesus because you don't, you, you're just, you're not sure. It's, it's kind of like, Jesus, you get this, but Jesus, I'm going to hang on to that. Or maybe you're still thinking, God, if you would just give me some kind of sign. You, you might think a thought like, now if I had been there, Back then, and I had personally met Jesus, and I had seen the things that Jesus had done with my own eyes. I would believe, hands down, no questions. It would be, if that's you, Jesus has a word for you. In verse 36, because there were people in the crowd like that that day. Verse 36, Jesus said, but I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe See, there were thousands of people who followed Jesus through his earthly ministry for about three years. Thousands of people. They met Jesus. They saw the signs, and they still did not believe. Jesus knows that seeing is not always believing. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to tell the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we those who follow Jesus, we walk by faith, not by sight. We, we believe the truth of the gospel. We believe that these words that God has given us are true. We believe that the promises that God made are fulfilled, every one of them completely fulfilled in Jesus. And there are some promises that Jesus makes to us about satisfying our deepest longings in this message that he gives that day in that synagogue. Longings that are deeper than our appetites, deeper than our bank accounts, deeper than than anything else. So in just the next couple of minutes, here's what I wanna do. I want us to look at how Jesus satisfies our deepest longings. And I want you to see these three promises that Jesus says as the bread of life, Jesus says, These are the promises I'm making to you as the bread of life to meet you at your place of deepest longing. And here's the first one. Jesus says this, Jesus receives all who come to him. Everybody, anyone, everyone. Jesus receives all who come to him. Look at verses 37 through 39. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. I I love, I love Jesus' certainty. I love Jesus' confidence here. See, Jesus knew that God, his Father, had sent him on mission. He knew that he would accomplish that mission. He he was confident in it. How, How did he know that? Because Jesus trusted that God, his Father, was completely sovereign. Jesus knew that God was sovereign in everything that he said. Jesus also knew 
that he didn't come to fulfill your expectations or my expectations. He came to fulfill the Father's will. And there's a big difference between those two things. See, Jesus knew that he was the Messiah, that he came to save. He knew that he came to draw people who were far away from God back to God. Why are we far away from God? What is it? Why do we need saving? It's just one word. You know the word. You don't want to say it. What's the one word that separates us from God? It's the Sunday school answer. It's sin. Sometimes the Sunday school answers are right. It's very simple. Here's the deal, friends. God had expectations of us. And we failed to meet his expectations. There are things that God told us to do that we haven't done. There are things God told us not to do that we do. And the reason, the deep down reason why we choose those things is we do not believe in our heart of hearts that God himself will satisfy our deepest longings. So we turn to other things. We worship other gods, not, not tiny little ceramic clay statues. We turn to worship things like comfort or power or celebrity or appetites that we have. And we turn these into idols. And you'll recall that idolatry is like on the top of God's top 10 list of things that God says, don't do that. And the reason that God says, don't do that Don't bow down to these things, God says, is because God knows they're going to hurt you. They're going to let you down. God says, I love you. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to live that way. Some of you will think, well, you know, if that's the case, I'll I'll just use my willpower then and I'll choose God. You know, if this is the, how the, this whole thing gets set up, I'm just going to power my way through. I'm just going to believe and I'll... See, Jesus deals with that because that's a false narrative too. The truth is, on your own power, you couldn't do that. You wouldn't choose God. God's word says time and time again that you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Look what Jesus says here in this sermon, John 6, 44. He says, no one not even you, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one unless the Father draws him. Now, that's a hard verse for us to hear sometimes, and I think there's a reason why. I think a lot of times it's because, you know, we just want to blow by that because we want to think that I was good enough, I was smart enough to just believe Jesus on my own that I came to faith on my own, that it was something that we did. We chose God. The truth is, if God had not acted first, you would have never acted. I would have never moved towards him. None of us would. Now, because of that, some people ask, well, how do I know if God chose me? I want to give you a very simple answer to that question. If you come to Jesus, whoever you are, if you fall on your knees in Jesus' presence, if you come to him 
broken over your sin, you come to him believing in him that he can save you, you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to receive you. And you know why that would happen? It's because God led you there. You didn't show up by yourself. So you don't need to spend a lot of time on that, on that question, did, you know, did, did he choose me? If you show up at Jesus' feet, seeking Jesus with your whole heart, God chose you. And I want you to notice the words that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses here. John is not exclusive. He's inclusive. He uses words like all and whoever and everyone. What, what, John, what Jesus is saying is this isn't limited to some age group or some gender. It's not limited to a, a political party. It's not limited to rich or poor. It's not limited to any race or nationality. It's not limited by past sins that you've committed. None, none of that matters. None of that restricts you from coming to None of it. Jesus accepts you when you come to him right where you are. So rather sitting and wondering, did Jesus, did Jesus choose me? Just come to Jesus. Just come to him. See, Jesus did not go to the cross with his fingers crossed hoping, oh, I hope somebody is going to get saved. Jesus knew. Jesus, Jesus was confident because he was certain in his mission because he was certain about his father. Never any doubt in his mind. And I love that. You know, I also love that Jesus didn't save us only, but Jesus secures us. Jesus said, I'll never cast you out. And again, for some, that's hard to believe because we've been cast aside by someone that we loved. We've been put aside by somebody that we thought would stand with us forever. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it's an adult child. Maybe it's that spouse who left you emotionally or, or, or physically. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's a friend that betrayed you. And for you, it's hard to accept those words. And here's what I've been praying for you this week, that you would know Jesus, Jesus is not that person. Jesus is not. Jesus will not let you down. He's not that parent that kind of forgot about you. Jesus is not that spouse that cheated on you and left you. Jesus is not that friend who betrayed you. He's not like any of them. He's not like any of us. So if you're struggling in your faith, if, if you got doubt, it's okay. Jesus wants you to be reassured. If you come to him, he will receive you no matter what you've done, and he will never, ever cast you out. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Friends, that's, that's so much of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So that deep longing that you have for love, for full acceptance, it can be found but it can only be found confidently in Jesus. That longing that you have for belonging, you can find that in Jesus. That longing to be part of something bigger than yourself, that can be found in Jesus because only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings because he will receive all who come to him. But not only that second promise that Jesus gives here, Jesus says he gives eternal life 
to all who believe in him. Jesus gives eternal life to all who believe in him. In verse 40, we read this. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have what? Eternal life. Later on, verse 47, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, who have or believes, as he will have eternal life. I love that he's saying this, whoever believes, anyone who believes. See, when you hear that phrase, eternal life, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of? I think most people think of heaven. Only think about what comes after we die. We, we, we think of, sometimes we think of eternal life kind of like a membership in a special club that we can't get to yet. Kind of like if somebody gave you a lifetime, all expense paid, go as often as you want, unlimited pass to the happiest place on earth, Disneyland or Disney World. And you you think that, hey, this is going to be great and your award comes in the mail, but it's to Euro Disney only. And you don't have any way of means of getting over to Euro Disney. Sometimes that's how I think we treat eternal life. We think of the kingdom of heaven like maybe one day I'll get to see it. Like I can't access it right now. But Jesus says that is not how it works. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in the here. It's in the now. It has begun. This eternal life that Jesus is offering It doesn't start when you die. It happens now. It starts the day you believe. New life begins. This side of death, it just happens to continue after death. This life that we can live in the kingdom of God begins when we believe Jesus. And what happens is we get united with God. He becomes our father. We're able to commune with him as our Abba, our our daddy, our father. And not just that, but because of Jesus, because we're united with him, we're also united with with each other. And that makes us family as a church. makes us brothers and sisters. And not only that, we get to live with with certainty about what lies ahead. Certainty, and it, it gives us hope. And it gives us hope because of the third promise that Jesus gives us here, and it's this. Jesus says he will raise up all who hope in him. Jesus says that he's going to raise up everyone who place their hope in him. In verse 39, not only is Jesus not going to lose anyone the Father has given him, but he says this, that he's going to raise them up on the last day. Jump back to verse 40. He says, not only all those who believe are they going to have eternal life, but Jesus will raise them up on the last day. Verse 44, Jesus says a third time in this short sermon, Jesus says, not only will God the Father draw you to Jesus, Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Why do you think Jesus makes that promise three times? Because Jesus wants you to know that death is not the end because God's word tells us that there is a day coming when Jesus is going to return. The bread of life 
who fulfills and meets and longs to meet your deepest longing is going to come back one more time. It's going to be a second coming, his second advent. And the scripture says that when that happens, the dead will be raised, not only raised, but be raised imperishable, never to perish again. Friends, I hope that fills you with hope. I pray that it gives you hope. Because, I pray that because of this, sin has just wreaked havoc on our bodies, on our physical bodies. Think of things like cancer and diabetes and arthritis and Parkinson's and lupus and COVID-19 and the list just goes on and on of the things that we suffer. God's word says that when Jesus returns, he's going to raise up a body that will last, that will endure, that will never hurt again. Some of you are hurting today. Some of you have loved ones who are hurting again right now today. And Jesus is saying in our our resurrected bodies, they're going to be glorified. They're going to be like Jesus' resurrected body, a perfect body, never touched by illness, never touched by disease, never touched by death. And friends, we have hope there. Because right now, some, some of you watching this are probably struggling with physical ailments. And I just, I want you to know. I, I, I want you to realize this be, because there's certainty in the hope that Jesus has promised that we will receive one day. See, because you put your trust in Jesus, there's coming a day when you're gonna hurt no more. And, and it's not going to be just the physical hurt. See, some of us, Scratch that. All of us struggle with emotional pain. We struggle with doubts. We we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with depression, overwhelming thoughts of just self-deprecating thoughts. And I want you to know that there's a day coming when we get to leave all that darkness. We'll never experience that darkness again. Because Jesus said you're going to get to live in light. A light that's so bright that the scripture says there's not even going to be a need for for sun. It'll drive all those dark, despairing thoughts away. They will never exist anymore. But here's what I pray you get today. Only Jesus can do that. No doctor. No vaccination. Nothing can do that. No person, no thing can do for you what only Jesus can do. Only, only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings. Before we stop this morning, there's some things that you just may want to look at. See, the Bible says that what you're going through right now, there's even a purpose behind that. The suffering that we're going through right now, God is moving in it and God is moving through it with the purpose of satisfying your deepest longings. I know you're saying, how is that possible? All things are possible with God. Michelle started us out this morning by telling us what God spoke to her heart from John 5. And that was God is always at work. Friends, God is at work in the mess in which we find ourselves. Moving to satisfy your deepest longing. 
It's not gonna happen because your political party wins. It's not gonna happen for any other reason than Jesus. Friends, we've just gotta get back to Jesus. Pray with me if you would. Jesus, we come to you today. We come to you hearing your words, hearing you say to our hearts, I am the bread of life. Hearing those words wash over our souls, knowing that when you speak those words to our souls, Jesus, that you're, you're our bread for life, that you're saying you, you want to meet the deepest longings of our souls. Lord, we come bringing those other longings that have distracted us, those superficial longings that keep us from drawing near to you. We bring them now, those things that we have created as idols. We lay them again at your feet, Jesus, knowing that they've disappointed us, knowing that they have let us down, knowing that our hearts are empty because we've put more trust in them than we have in you. We've misunderstood you, Jesus. And our misunderstanding has robbed us of the beauty of life in your kingdom that you have promised us now. And so we return, Jesus. Most of us, most of us have trusted you for our eternity, but we're, we haven't trusted you with some of our here and now, and so we bring it to you now because we do want our souls filled with you. We believe, Jesus, that you and you alone can meet our deepest soul longings. So we come back home to you, Jesus, laying aside our idols, laying aside that which has wreaked havoc in our lives, in our hearts, and our minds, and we come back to you, Jesus, to you crucified, to you raised from, from the dead, putting our hope in you again. Maybe you've been watching and for the very first time, you realize that those deep longings of your soul, that gnaw that you've tried to fill with everything in this broken, messed up world, and now you realize you've been looking for, for Jesus all along. That's God choosing you. That's God bringing you to himself. And all you've got to do in that moment, in this moment, is just say, Jesus, I want my longings met by you. Nothing else will. I believe that now. I trust you. I turn from my pursuit of everything else, all the sin, all the idols. I, I just, I lay them down now and I come to you, Jesus, believing, trusting that you're the bread of life. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me with your life now Jesus believing that this is who you are believing that it is true we turn our hearts now again to worship you believing Jesus that you paid it all so that the deepest longings of our souls could finally be met thank you Jesus we worship you now it's in your name we pray amen